Thank you for coming this afternoon. For our next session, we have Jose Bonzu, independent curator and founder of Crane, who will be in conversation with Miriam Septi, the editor-in-chief of Diptych magazine. They have a couple um, there for you to see. Um, so as I said, Miriam is co-founder and chief editor of Diptych. It's a bi-monthly art magazine published in Casablanca, Morocco. Since 2009, Diptych has covered key events and featured interviews with Arab and African artists all over the world. Last year, Miriam was honored by King Mohammed VI for her work to increase the visibility of Moroccan artists abroad. Thank you. Are we on? Ah. <laughs> well, I'm going to start, Miriam, if that's OK, because I'm, I'm the discussant and, and, and you're the discussee. And I guess the, the, the reason for uh, Koyo having organized uh, this, this interaction, this encounter, was very much to stage a conversation between uh, two people who are, you for a longer time than me, involved in publishing and involved in bringing a, a, a discursive context to African art. Um, we were saying we had a walk around where Miriam was telling me a lot about Moroccan art and I was trying to tell her about West African art and it was the Maghreb versus the West African region or what is kind of polarized in, in the discourse that um, has been created in the introduction of Forum as Black Africa and the Maghreb region. And these polarities, I think they simply don't contain the, uh, the plurality of and the density of work being produced on the continent, but furthermore, in the context of Forum, I think Koyo being a, an extremely reflexive curator and one who has fought very hard to make opportunities for artists from across the world, both the diaspora and continentally, um, to really create a space for the coexistence of forms, of languages, of bodies, of representations that aren't exclusively um, inscribed to a geographic logic, as we know that can be such a limiting way to read art today, but also in some cases uh, leads to a very problematic, uh, uh, as I said, polarized, but also an issue dialectically, because there is so much contained within a single artwork and usually a history and a grand narrative, which is usually global from its outset. Um, and I think in the context of 154, the forum being the kind of thinking hub, the place where knowledge is being produced and hopefully disseminated, um, is an important kind of space, not only to discuss this, but to bring about um, a very honest conversation about these blind spots, is what I'm calling them for the, for the sake of this talk. You know, we all have our own uh, lineage, uh, subjectivity that's attached to our own, I guess, consciousness, subconsciousness, that carries us through life in interesting ways. And we have, I think, a very interesting opportunity here to talk about uh, this relationship, but not only uh, this relationship in, in a singular, but in a plural, these relationships between geographies, practices, objects, and people. Um, so with that as a beginning point, and I have the lovely issue of Diptych here, I'm sure many of you are familiar with its uh, contents, um, it's become somewhat kind of emblematic for representing a particular uh, strand of, I would say, publishing in Africa that's been very much focused on, um, I think, the, the building bridges, no? Building bridges, but also allowing for content to be relatively porous. I don't think Diptych ever had a, a specific uh, motivation to represent only the artists of its surrounding, i.e. it's based in Morocco. So the beginning is 2009, so I kind of wanted to, to treat this in a very linear way, give Miriam an opportunity to tell her story, really from 2009, but maybe before then, how did Diptych come into being? How did it form? Where was the beginning? Okay, thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. I hope my English is not too scholar, but I will try to just speak slowly. I feel very... In easy when I speak French and English, I don't have all the vocabulary, so maybe you will help me when I lose my words. Uh, so in, um, in, uh, at the beginning, the idea was to try and, and, and give uh, an echo to what was happening in art in Morocco at the turning point of uh, 2009. Uh, there was a, a, a huge uh, effervescence in Morocco with galleries and artists and events also. And I was uh, coming from the press, journalist press. 
I had worked for uh, uh, journalist um, newspapers, weekly, week uh, newspapers in Morocco, always writing about culture, music, art, theater, literature also. And I uh, was proposed by um, an art dealer in Morocco to, um, to try and, and do this magazine. He said, we have to do it now because it's now or never. And like it always happens in our countries, we, tr we just worked very fast and uh, with the kind of magical work, what happens very often in, I think in, in Africa and in the Arab world. So we, we just said, let's do it and then we'll fix it. So we uh, thought about uh, making an art magazine just about contemporary art because there had been, we knew that there had been a huge avant-garde in the 60s, 70s. Uh, in Morocco, we don't have good archives or history books or even uh, sessions to, 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 to teach or to learn about this avant-garde. So I must admit that I don't know these avant-garde as well as people who could attend these, uh, these periods in, uh, in history of art in Morocco. So I decided to just work on what I could see in my, in my time. So, um, and then we decided also to work on our very close area, which was at this time the Arab world. We thought that there was something happening in the Arab world. And uh, as a matter of fact, the first event that I covered in the magazine was uh, the edition of Paris Photo that was this year focused on our Iranian and Arab uh, photo. So I came with my magazine and I said, what a coincidence that I have decided to do this magazine and at the same time, big events such as Paris Photo try to focus on the Arab world. So we, we had like, uh, we were uh, proposed like, uh, it couldn't happen like this. So I said, this is, this is the good, maybe the good way of doing things. And I began very slowly to, the first difficulty was to find people to write in Morocco. I, I realized very, very quickly that I would have an easy way of doing things is to talk about all the Arab events happening abroad in France, in Great Britain, in Dubai, in every place where it's all already organized. I just call a journalist, say, could you cover this event for me? Do you have enough material? It's all easy. The difficulty was to deal with my, my, uh, my land. No authors or approximately none. So much difficulties to make myself uh, famous or just to, 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 to communicate. I'm existing, I'm a magazine, I'm in Morocco. Uh, could you please just send us your material, what's your activity, what, who are your galleries? So in Morocco, it was very difficult to, to exist at the beginning. I had so easy work with what was happening from the Arab world abroad and so much difficulty to deal with my direct geography. And then the second problem was I had um, some kind of um, animosity. Right. Uh, because at the beginning, I decided to really deal with contemporary art. My, my topic was emergent art scene in Morocco and in the Arab world. And all the artists from the 80s, which uh, didn't find where to express themselves, where to expose, they were a little like has-been artists in Morocco. Mm. And they didn't find how to, how to reach me. And I was not myself so interested in what they were doing at this time. So I had this difficulty to gather all the generations in the magazine. Right. But I tried. So I, as I said, I decided to just do it and then fix it. So gradually, when I reached the 10th issue of Diptych, I thought I was strong enough to begin and deal with avant-garde, with, um, uh, how do you say, has been artists who were expecting something to happen for them because yeah. there, something happened in, in Morocco, maybe also in, all the, in Algeria, maybe in Tunisia. We had wonderful artists in the 70s. Something ended in the 80s, something was just silent. The end of 80s, 90s. And then it begins again. Right. Now with this, all this uh, 
Well, I think that the, the, the uh, often it's historically uh, thought, or it's assumed, I guess, that avant-garde's emerge out of moments of historical tension, of somewhat of an intersection between fracturous political situations and maybe the kind of um, very uh, authentic uh, pull for artists to make creative work that then responds to those conditions but finds a way to abstract it, complicate it, yeah. add layers of meaning that perhaps aren't immediately readable in the political situation itself. And one of the things we kind of started to reflect on in looking around the works here that were representative of works from the North African region and of Morocco is a kind of a poeticism, a certain relationship to landscape, and certainly a certain kind of historical sensitivity that is always reflecting on its own past. And I guess one of the things that I'm still curious to know about the, the kind of genealogy of, 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 of Diptych and how it came into being is whether you had other journals, magazines, forms of printed matter to reflect on. Was there already an existing model of a contemporary art or even just an arts publication, or plastic arts or otherwise? Uh, there or, haven't been lots of uh, art publication in Morocco. Uh, uh, artists from the avant-garde told me that at uh, this uh, particular time, they use, just like uh, any avant-garde of this time, they used to print their own um, non-very regular magazines and they were doing everything, you know, like me, that people from the 70s, they like to, artists, they were writing, they were curating, they were um, uh, organized the exhibition, this famous big exhibition in Marrakesh in Jamalfna, and they were also printing their tracts and they were, they were, um, you know, arranging the, 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 the graphic design of, uh, of their publications. So there, there are some uh, irregular publications, but uh, nothing like, uh, like Diptych. Right. This is maybe the, in Morocco, the, the first magazine with also a, um, a business model based on also uh, advertising pages, which is quite a problem. We can discuss it if you want, because this is uh, our only way of uh, of uh, financing this project also. It's, it's through advertising, which is very much some, a model that <laughs> is now um, considered to be the, the norm in any place where, where an art publication in particular is being published is through advertisement, endorsement, uh, sponsorship. And I wonder whether when you started, you said you were, you were making it and fixing it as you went along. Um, did you have a clear financial model of how you were going to make Diptych sustainable? Absolutely not, because I'm not, uh, I didn't receive a financial uh, teaching in my, my studies. So I just, I must admit that uh, I really don't have a, a business approach. And since I can finance uh, an issue, I'm happy. And sometimes I begin to, to uh, prepare. And I'm on the December issue, for example, I know that I will need like, uh, 20 or 22 ad pages to just make it work, to pay my journalists and pay the print, which is uh, uh, lots of money, and to pay the, the, the rent anyway. So when it's okay, I'm not looking for more ad pages. It's not a, it's not a business. Yeah. For me, it's not a business. If I could have just two or three sponsors who could just help me and empty this magazine from these some pages which are really... An, even from the aesthetic point of view, it's really not nice. To but of course, we love our advertisers. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yes, of course, I would love to have no ad pages in the magazine and to just have three sponsors who could finance the whole thing. Maybe it's a, it's a new way of doing things. I maybe should think about it. And I'm sure I could find these sponsors in a, maybe in Morocco, Africa, and the Arab world, three sponsors, because yeah. it's not that much money. The other problem of the advertisers also is that when they are uh, cultural actors, they ask you for a counter part. They yeah. want you to talk about their exhibition, even if it's not a good one, yeah. even if it's not in your uh, editorial approach. This is really a problem also. And, and, and this is a very common issue that also mirrors the institutional practices of many African-based institutions. So setting up a publishing company or, or, or beginning to publish in print is, is completely 
in some ways totally the same as building an institution. You have the force of uh, a market. Usually, that's a market you know dominated by potential advertising bodies that can, in some way, influence positively the work you're doing, but can also be quite corrosive um, and uh, not so. Uh, 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 positive in, in that way, but then on the, the flip side of that, you have uh, certainly government infrastructures that don't necessarily serve to support the expression of individual creativity. And from a Moroccan perspective, I know that Abdullah Kurum's uh, project, Apartment 22 in Rabat, has felt very much that push and pull of, of how to remain independent of uh, said forces, but also how to retain a certain kind of authenticity. And that's maybe the next uh, point of discussion. I wanted to talk about how you create a publication because if you've known 154 since its uh, genesis, you've known that we've had many different types of publications here and uh, many that have now disappeared. Uh, I think it's a very quick turnover of magazines that get published with an African art uh, uh, approach or uh, uh, emphasis, and then through lack of funding. But this is issue 30 of Diptych, I should emphasize. And there are other, uh, you should be very proud of that, I, th <laughs> I think, considering the track record of magazines on African art. Um, and also, uh, you have editions uh, like uh, Nka, which is published by Duke University Press. And then for a long time, you had Revue Noir, which was the authoritative journal on African art for uh, Paris and, and, and Europe more, more generally, but had a tough way of sustaining a commercial life and didn't end up uh, you know, continuing to exist as a, as a printed uh, object. But I would wonder, in, in that line of thinking, how you've managed to create a publication that is clearly you know, being read, being accessed, but also how you feel that your readership has been has grown or how it's been created because certainly in the context of, of of Africa we're talking about a context in which people may buy magazines access them but there aren't a great deal of spaces to send out this printed matter to distribute and spaces through which you can promote this magazine and I'd question whether it's how it's been in terms of a trajectory of actually finding space to represent this, but also building an authentic audience. Yes, build an audience is really uh, um, a big deal. Because sometimes uh, it's difficult to know if the audience chooses you or if you choose your audience. Right. And really it's like something hazardous happening between these two uh, models. But I think that uh, when I began, I really, uh, as uh, I didn't think about the business model, I think I didn't think about the audience. Maybe the audience can be thought just, uh, uh, can be defined just if you take first that I'm speaking French. Mm. So if I'm speaking French, and this is a matter we could discuss, may, uh, I thought about translating my magazine in Arabic. It could be a political sign, strong sign in Morocco uh, to uh, translate into Arabic. I discussed this with uh, Omar Brada several times. And if I translated in Arabic, it would be accessible to uh, other uh, social uh, um, aspects of the Moroccan society, Arab world, and I would maybe do things differently if it was in Arabic. Right. So this is, this is a, a possibility. Being in French, in Morocco and in Maghreb allows me to reach only people who can read French. People who are interested in art in Morocco are also a small a small part of these people who speak French. Mm -hmm. And people who in art are interested in contemporary art are again a smaller part. So uh, once you, you go from people who can read French, who are interested in culture and art, who <laughs> understand something in contemporary art, the, the, <laughs> the audience is getting smaller and smaller and smaller yeah. in Morocco. Then I realized that in uh, countries like this one, I could reach an audience, but not in French, so I should maybe think of translating this magazine into English, especially now that I'm dealing with all this African material. I need to really go out of this uh, French uh, problem. So maybe this is the first thing that I should do, is translating some text. But one of the things that really strikes me about that model, and I'm sure it's, uh, it's, it's been quite rare, I mean, the number of publications I've seen being produced in relation to this sort of broadening field of contemporary African art as a category, um, is that, you know, 
you mentioned the expansion and wanting to reach a broader audience through language. So often that idea of reaching a broader audience or, or creating a wider access point for the publication has to do with an expansion of content, yeah. which means I see many magazines on African art becoming lifestyle magazines. And I think it's important to clarify that contemporary art is not a lifestyle. Contemporary art is not a wide audience subject. Right. Maybe here in, yes, you can, but you know, sometimes I just give the magazine to someone who is educated in Morocco. In Morocco, we go like this from the end, <laughs> the, the habits of reading in Arabic, so they go like this. and. And we will talk about the problem of image in the contemporary art, and they go like, and they see. So when it's painting, and when it's the market pages, like this Majorelle, they keep on watching, oh, that's great, that's great. And once they reach the contemporary images, they go like, they just can't find something to, to, to understand. It's so weird, it's so strange. And in Morocco, very often, people don't understand yeah. what I'm talking about. But I think it's so key that you're still placing those images as a vocal point for the magazine as opposed to uh, uh, relegating them to some kind of uh, other status, maybe as a support for a text or for a lifestyle piece or for an op uh, ad or for something that's much more uh, strategic. This I is think. the problem of edition. We really right. have always to take the the reader by the hand and explain him why this image is here and why we're talking about, uh, for example, uh, Biennale of Bamako. Uh, why, why do I publish a paper about Biennale of Bamako in this magazine, which business is basically in Morocco, because my big audience is in Morocco. Right. I sell so few copies in France. I, I support events like this one, so I send some copies here uh, when it's uh, when you have specific exhibitions in Marseille or something, I send some copies, but I don't have a wide audience. Uh, right. It's difficult to, to also, from a financial point of view, to send magazine. It's so expensive. It's super expensive. And I think that, that brings me to the next point. In your scheme of, of distribution, you haven't really mentioned uh, other regions in Africa that you've made a commitment to. Uh, to, to finding a way to, to get the publication there, to have it be presented in, you know, Bamako. Or now it's really my next step. I discussed very briefly with, uh, with Koyo this morning, and it really should be my next step. I should investigate how to, how to spread this magazine, first in, in this French uh, version, to oh. see how it can just exist in some, uh, some countries, uh, uh, South uh, Sahara, and if it can work, because I can't uh, send like 100, uh, you have to imagine how expensive it is to just send 100 copies, yeah. because it's more like, than the, it's the half price a pound of, yeah, of, uh, of, of weight. <laughs> exactly. But so maybe the digital politics yeah. is maybe the solution for me. But print is, is really important, I think. It's the, it's, it's the legitimate, uh, first step of all this uh, this business is the print. Yeah. But I think, do, do you think that in, in Morocco, I mean, I'm not sure how the digital is impacting the, uh, the audience or whether it is indeed creating a, a certain rapture in terms of how work is being produced, but also in terms of how cultural content is being disseminated. And one of my experiences of, 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 of running Crane, which was mentioned briefly in the introduction, is a very small company that's supporting artists through an online platform is the challenge of bringing an audience that is, you know, to some degree virtual, but, but, but to have them be engaged in something that the internet by and large is a space for information, but because of the copious amount of information that's available, it becomes almost impossible to uh, retain an, an attention span, you know, to keep an audience engaged. And maybe one of the interesting ways for Diptych to consider to do that would be to think about uh, things that it could create online experiences and access to content that isn't available in print or that has um, a different form of interaction. Maybe you know there's a possibility of video content, moving image, which then extends the medium of the magazine to being something more than a static yeah, uh, really. object. Yes, you, you're right. I think that this, this, uh, my presence here also allows me to maybe think of my audience not in terms of country. Maybe the audience of Diptych has to be thought not 
like Morocco or Algeria. The audience is the intersection of people who come here to the 154, people who go to Bamako, people who curate here, artists from all these countries, uh, uh, collectors from uh, Lebanon, uh, collectors from, uh, I don't know, uh, Algeria <coughs> or Tunisia. This is the real audience of Diptyque. Maybe I shouldn't think about my country. I, I think I have investigated all the parts of the possible audience in my country. It's okay. I, I can't go any further. I have reached my <laughs> the, the frontier of what can be the audience of contemporary art in Morocco. And we see that also uh, when maybe you, you met here uh, someone like Yasmin Anaji or people who curate, and even Abdullah Karoum. Yeah. How many people does he receive in Appartement 22? <laughs> How many people in Morocco know about Appartement 22? Maybe in Morocco, 15 persons. <laughs> and we all, we, we all, <laughs> maybe this 15 person, <laughs> yeah. And these are people who are involved in contemporary, about the audience, 22 persons. <laughs> 22 persons, and they are the people who work in contemporary art. Right. And who go there when there are some, uh, some events, you know. So maybe my audience in Morocco, I should maybe stop investigating in this, uh, <laughs> in this way and maybe try and build the audience more, seeing who are the, the people attending this, maybe this, uh, this talk, you know. Yeah. And think of building my audience, how you said. I, I think for sure, but, but, but building an audience also then means a, a level of consistency. And I'm so interested in, 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 in this fair as, a, as, a, as a really a model of consistency, because when it began, it had a very specific goal to represent, uh, to bring 15 galleries to London to display uh, what was representative of contemporary African art and to find a way to cultivate an audience in London. What's so interesting about the kind of strange logic of Freeze is that London becomes a global village during this time and maybe has been becoming so for the last 20 years or so. But really, it's a, it's a very temporary moment that does force, to some degree, an intersection of the global and the local. But I always hope, in looking at 154 as a model, that it's a gateway for other forms of practice and artists. In uh, 154 New York, where we were only, I think, five months ago, said, oh, well, I really want 154 to emerge as a model in Africa. And I said, that would be fantastic uh, in any case. But what about the notion that that, that artist himself or herself may have their own model that they might like to bring forward. And I think the emphasis for me is that, that that should be on the notion that diptych becomes exemplary of how to make uh, a publication within a certain locale that engages a continent, but then it equally inspires someone in Bamako to produce a response to diptych. This is what I'm not seeing enough of, and something I'm very critical of is the lack of agency given to artists in relation to this cultural field in which we're all working and we're all very active. I think that we, as important as it is that we mediate form and we mediate content and, and matter, that we remember that why we're in this uh, business no? <laughs> or this world. And I think, what is it that, that Diptych does to really support artists, I wonder? Hmm. I w uh you just said to um, have to wait for a response. I see myself very much like someone who sent a message in a bottle five years ago. <laughs> and uh, being here today is like someone found my bottle. <laughs> and it, when it happens sometimes, people find your, your bottle. Mm -hmm. Really, if you, if you think of yourself as someone sending message in a bottle, uh, someone mm -hmm. very often finds your bottle. And so, so, yes, the audience, what, what was your question? <laughs> what does Diptych do to support artists directly yes. or indirectly? So, uh, in, uh, in Morocco, what we do, so Morocco is really the place where we try to investigate. So, we're very proud also to be maybe the magazine who uh, makes some of, of, um, of the first texts about uh, artists from the emerging scenes. So, this is maybe what really we do and some other people don't do. First texts about artists who are emerging, who are trying to talk about themselves with uh, some difficulties sometimes. And uh, uh, the journalist I was talking about, Siham Degan, who travels a lot and who makes all these, uh, these uh, uh, texts. Uh, in this issue, you have the text about uh, Mohsin Harafi. 
And uh, this is what uh, really what we do is trying to build uh, the first stories for these artists, trying to, uh, to make it um, um, coherent between what they, where they come from, how they have been taught art in uh, Ecole des Beaux-Arts de Tétouan or anywhere, if, if they, sometimes they are Autodidact, yes, right. autodidact. And, uh, and the, the first uh, body of work that they show to uh, any curator or exhibition. So this is what we do. We're trying also to make, um, um, to, to give an echo of what's happening in the residencies. Because in Morocco, maybe we don't have lots of uh, uh, strong and uh, very powerful galleries, but we have very interesting residency net. Uh, and they, they attract lots of, of um, great artists, lots of great artists come to Morocco and they settle down. They sometimes spend like two, three months. And it's interesting to see that our country um, inseminate their, their work and their thinking about, uh, about art. We have lots of them, uh, like uh, I realized that um, uh, François-Xavier was in Morocco, Kader Hatia was in Morocco, and lots of curators also go to Morocco and spend time there. So it's really a place where you can think about art yeah. peacefully. And I, I think it's become a sort of major point of intersection for this notion of a kind of pan-Africanism because Morocco is indeed, uh, usually if people visit North Africa, it's, it's one of the first places yeah. they visit. It's a, it's a kind of sticking point because welcoming. so many people welcoming the people and also the kind of a romantic engagement with the city that has such an interesting literary history, um, but also a very, I mean, interesting architectural history, yeah. which is certainly what drew Francois to that, that, that uh, particular region. And I think that when I start to, um, to think about the parallel, indeed, there is one between, between uh, Morocco, or rather Marrakesh, I think about, um, and uh, London, which is to be that point of intersection. But I'm curious, because recently you had the Biennale of Marrakesh that became, uh, has become such a success in, in kind of locating that particular city on the map. How do you feel that biennales, for example, as opposed to printed matter, because printed matter is a very different form of engagement. It's uh, usually uh, very much about uh, small individual teams working on copy, working on mm. the editorial component, whereas a biennale is almost like a large-scale production, more like a film in a sense. We should do the same work, actually, but not in the same temporality. Yeah. Uh, well, we, we try to give an echo of all the biennales mm -hmm. in the world involving artists that we follow from far away or from very closely. So we, we uh, gave a paper about Biennale de Lyon. We often go to Sharjah to, of course, uh, uh, Biennale de, de Bamako, du Bénin, all the African biennales. And uh, also Biennale de Venise, of course. Concerning Biennale of uh, Marrakech, uh, we are following this event with uh, lots of... Um, um, on dit la bienveillance. We are trying to be ki uh, kind. We are trying to be kind to this event because I think it's important for our country to have right. uh, this uh, this event. But sometimes we feel it's a little uh, not connected to the to the country. They, they're trying. Yes, they're trying to connect, uh, involving. Uh, well, it happens in Marrakesh. They try to work with the schools there, Les Sav, and with the, the university. They try to work also with the, uh, Darul Memun, which is a very uh, powerful residence, and uh, all the work that uh, Omar Barada is doing over there. And they are true. But um, when you when you when you are in Marrakesh during the Biennale, you don't really feel there is something happening. This is really what has to be done in this Biennale: is to try and and, and give an echo of what's happening in the, the country. Right. But... Well, I know a way it's trying to do that before is through introducing art in the commonplace, which is a very, uh, now, a quite a common way of, 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 of organizing a biennale around spaces that would be considered to be um, not conventional spaces <laughs> to present art. Um, but whether then that engages a local audience, I'm not sure because they're very aware of these spaces and perhaps don't visit them for a reason. Mm. But my, uh, 
I guess other question in regards to diptych, because we're moving further away from, from the site of diptych and then into this broader landscape of, of Morocco. What do you think it is about the environment of Morocco that's been particularly uh, hospitable or, or, or uh, um, um, sort of productive as a location for diptych to begin? For example, had you started it in Tunisia, do you think it would have had the same success or in another um, country? Well, I can talk about Morocco, not Tunisia, that I don't know very well, but I think what is interesting in Morocco anyway is even when I'm hopeless, because, for example, this year uh, I tried, this is end of October, I, I tried to find something interesting, I tried to find a, a show for the opening of the, the art season in Morocco, I couldn't find anything. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I just feel that everything is, everyone is sleeping or I don't know, so, so but eventually, <laughs> Eventually, uh, artists are, are, they're here, they are productive, they are trying, they, uh, they count on us also to, to make them emerge here, for example. Mohsin is not here, but he is in the magazine and he's here. Well, his career is already launched, so it's, it's not the problem. But uh, what is interesting in Morocco is that it's a, it's a land where all people, um, well, they, they all pass by Morocco. Right. So you will come to Morocco. I'm sure Soon, some, someday you, you will yeah. come to Morocco. Lots of creators come to Morocco. <laughs> Lots of artists go to Morocco. And eventually something, something happens. It's a good, it's a good place to, to do this magazine right. eventually. I don't really understand why because now I'm thinking about because this October and, everybody's and realizing that every, I... <laughs> For example, I don't understand how, um, why, for example, in, uh, in, in the fair of uh, Art Dubai, for example, there is so little Moroccan presence for contemporary art and all the uh, our contemporary artists are represented by their Tunisian, Parisian, Lebanese gallery. I don't understand why no Moroccan gallery can just Okay, take, the money is over there, there is money. I think the problem is in Morocco, the real problem is, again, the audience. There isn't a real audience for contemporary art, and we work in a kind of entre-soi, you know what entre-soi means? All the people interested in contemporary art are already people working in it. Right. So we need some fresh people uh, just uh, interested in, in contemporary art who just buy or are interested and they are not working in this. And these people are so not here. They're not present. But I guess one of the two things that makes Diptych then an interesting proposition is that it's waking up the, the sleepers of, of that are apparently... Uh, so the problem is that if you want to wake up people who are sleeping, sometimes you have to use uh, uh, mainstream right. attitudes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I really wonder, should I take art as a, as a how do you say, um, way of life? You, you have lots yes. of magazines who take art just like a you know, way of art where you have a piece of art in our living room. No, don't, don't, we travel don't. from a place to another place. I could oh. tell these stories. Oh. I'm sure that the magazine would be great and I, had, I would have a great audience if I would just show people in their living rooms with piece of arts and lots of money <laughs> spent in art and people going from Basel to uh, Fries to the FIAC and yeah. telling their wonderful stories. Maybe yeah. this is what people are expecting. Well, I think there is certainly about contemporary art, which is so interesting, and it always is sharply out of tune when you consider it in relation to the, the avant-garde moment, out of which so many forms of contemporaneity emerge. Is this form of, 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 of contemporary art sort of co-opted as, as a form of lifestyle, which is not altogether a bad thing, but I think it, it should be an intellectual stimulus more so than an aspirational luxury. But uh, where we're dealing I with this. I must admit that sometimes oh. I, I'm <laughs> in this hesitation. But uh, look, the problem is contemporary art is very radical. You mm. can't be a little bit of this. Mm. When, you, when you talk about contemporary art, you, you, you have to be like this. You yeah. have to produce texts uh, which are sometimes a little difficult to read. And yeah. we could 
we could talk about it. So in so far as what you commission, because I know that there is a certain, when you're finding, trying to find an audience, you're publishing, whether it's online or in print, sometimes it can be difficult to find a, a language that's accessible. And I know certainly in terms of contemporary African art theory as something that was really born in the 80s and has kind of taken on a life of its own now of being uh, a language unto itself, which has co-opted uh, anthropology, political science, um, I think a little bit of, uh, of social studies too. Um, it's an incredibly productive field of thought, but one that most people can find sometimes difficult to access. Um, because it's so multi-layered and in fact, because it's so dense in its, in its uh, reading of artworks. How have you managed to make uh, texts uh, read, uh, you know, somewhat accessibly to the audience, transmitting information that they can digest that, that provokes thought at the same time? Well, first of all, the, the, the first problem to deal with was the, the, the density of uh, texts compared to image. Yeah. We began with the big density and I had, the feedback was, oh, there is too many, too many words. <laughs> Give us more images, please don't, this is too much, this is too much. <laughs> so I'm trying to fix uh, um, a size of text uh, and I'm trying to really work on this. For example, you have, and I'm working on different size of text. So you have, for example, these snapshot and different, uh, different size and different uh, approach yeah. of uh, work of, uh, uh, writing about art. For this, for example, this is very short text and it's like a free text on the work. You're, you don't need to be, you don't need to really uh, talk about the, the, the piece. You just make a free text that inspires that, that's inspired by, by, uh, by the, the work. So this right. is the snapshot. You just look at the piece and you produce a free text. And, I'm and not it, sure it's yeah. very successful. I like it very much because it's not that free. Huh? It's not, uh, you just can't say uh, everything you want, but uh, it's, it's an exercise. I would love other people to come and, and participate with me, someone who is a poet and who could produce this kind of text because mm. I think that uh, what could be interesting in this magazine now is really uh, multiplicate the, 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 um, the kinds of, of text that, that we produce. You have the typical exhibition visit, so reportage uh, or visit mm -hmm. of exhibition. You have this kind of text. You have the critic text. I don't have lots of this, uh, this text because we don't know how to do it, and to make a, a real critique, you yeah. have to, to almost have like 10 years behind you yeah. to judge if this uh, work of uh, Mohamed El Bas, for example, is interesting as compared to his previous uh, work. Now, we just now, we've been here for six years, we begin to be able to do it. We have this, um, uh, profondeur, this depth, mm. that allows us to go to a show by Younes Rahmoun or uh, Mohamed El Baz. We can allow ourselves to go for a show of an artist that we know well. We know all his body of work and we can say, we can write a, a critic text saying that this refers to this and this is better than this, more relevant, less relevant, and we can begin to do that. Right, and I think that, that just to bring up on that point of, of depth and, and, and critical meaning, to a large extent, I think that the African field of contemporary African art lacks criticality. Yeah, I think here that, and now. Uh, but there is a huge amount of production, and I think almost uh, so much production that it is sometimes difficult to uh, to uh, accommodate the amount of uh, of production, which I would say partly goes hand in hand then with the lack of criticality, whether there is a reflection on a lot of what's being produced under this very large, in, in, in this kind of apparatus. And I think that one of the things that I noticed in looking at your publication and having read it before is the kind of filters and, and the layers that you offer, the lenses through which people can look at art from varying perspectives. But we mentioned something really earlier that, that you know, we were going around this fair, uh, Miriam with a very strong bias towards the North African artists and myself uh, to the West. Yeah. And uh, being very honest about that because it's something we all have. 
Um, but I think that to, to certainly broaden the terms of, 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 of that statement, you then have to consider how a fair can represent the pluralities of, of, of a given um, field of practice, but also how it sometimes may miss or that there are blind spots, given blind spots. And I think certainly in relation to this uh, dialectic of, of North uh, or Maghreb region and Black Africa or whatever the kind of um, the setup you want to create is, there is a strong tension uh, for work to exist sort of in between these spaces. And I think now the, the fair sort of presents an ageographic context. But I think the problem with that then is still the, the medium specificity and the cultural specificity of what's being produced. And we talked about um, representation as a whole and kind of as a way of leading off. I wanted to ask whether you think that you will ever find a balance of representing the entire continent in one publication. This is very, very difficult, actually. And um, maybe if I could uh, have more um, people working for the magazine, more authors, more journalists, uh, because um, now I must admit that I have uh, a very small team in Morocco and some people writing for me from Paris, especially, or France. I need now, really, people I can rely on and who live in, uh, in uh, African countries mm. and who can now, if we consider that we are going to write in English and in French, and who could really write from the inside. Because right. we have this attitude of writing from the inside for Morocco. I would like it to be the same for, uh, for all the African countries. Right. And this, so building the audience is uh, maybe the big work I have to do for the, the, the years coming, but also be building a real team who could write from really from the countries. I have Siham Vigan who travels a lot, but it could be great if I could have uh, someone writing on an exhibition in, uh, in uh, Cécile Fakouri when it happens, for example. Right. Yep. And to say exactly what I'm saying when, when I talk about an Elba's show in Casablanca, I would like to know who goes there to, to tell me a story about how it happens in, in Abidjan, who's there and who's, who's attending and what's, uh, what's the, 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 um, the audience and how does it happen and what did he present, how was the, the, also the area, what does the, look, the gallery look like. Right. Because really, in contemporary art, if you if you always talk about things from 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 a distance, from a distance, there is a problem of incarnation. It's it's well, too cold. Well, I also think, as Simon and Jemmy has said on on this subject before, it, it it does certainly sort of circumvent criticality, or it it doesn't enable creativity in terms of writing to grow when there isn't the lived direct experience of being an actor in the present. Yeah. But I think with that said, I'm not sure how much time we have for questions. Uh, it's open to the public to, to <laughs> obviously ask, you're our public, and I think that um, we're, we're kind of keen to answer any, any questions, Miriam, specifically. Yeah. Hi, um, I'm Mesa Ibrahim. I've, I missed the beginning of the talk, so I don't know if you talked about this, but I was very interested in what you said about the Moroccan art scene, because when I visited Morocco, um, I do find like the, the contemporary art scene is very invisible, so you have to really, really hunt to find it. And I wonder if Morocco is held back by its its strength in design. So when you, so I have a Middle Eastern art background. So when I compare Morocco to the rest of the Middle East, it's a living gallery in terms of aesthetics. It's so beautiful. There is so much design everywhere, like fairs from fairs to to even to Casa to everywhere. That, um, that there's almost like a, a, such a focus on aesthetics that when it comes to the contemporary side of things, you're almost, you're almost disadvantaged. And how would you overcome this, um, this the, the comfort zone of Morocco when it comes to the, the beauty of design and aesthetics? The comfort zone. Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. we are a, a country uh, where people like to stay, in the, to stay in the comfort zone. The problem of galleries, um, well, in, in Morocco, you have lots of galleries, actually, pretending to really do their work well, and they have very important areas in, in nice uh, places of Casablanca or Marrakech. But maybe, uh, and you have also independent art centers, uh, more hidden in Rabat, especially, 
And uh, these ones really do, you don't have, and so the, the, the independent art scene do really the work of searching, of trying to, to find what's interesting in, uh, in, in the first uh, work of an artist. So they do that work. And on the other side, you have these huge galleries in nice places in Casablanca who just are like showrooms, actually. But you don't have a gallery who does the, the, these two activities at the same time. Mm -hmm. And now this, I think that if we don't solve this problem in, in the, the, the few years coming, there really will be a problem. All the artists will go in uh, English or French or Spanish galleries because they, they, they can't find a gallery who does all the work at the same time. The aesthetic showroom uh, attitude and the research on the other side, trying to invite people from uh, curators and people to visit. And uh, well, it's, uh, it's, it's a complicated <laughs> job, but uh, galleries have to do it. They really have to do it. And then at the same time, so, so not to, to, to speak against design and aesthetics and so on, because Hassan Hajaj um, had a, a show in New York and it was so well received that that he, he reached people that most other African or Middle Eastern artists mm -hmm. couldn't reach. And it got to the point where um, he reached an audience who was so ignorant and probably needed his art that they looked at his works and disbelieved. So he was taking portraits of people in Morocco and they didn't believe that women ride motorbikes or whatever. So then he, you know, so then he took a film to LACMA in LA to show that actually this is a real person and so on. So, so in that sense, maybe what is seen as just normality in Morocco, so this is just a picture of Morocco, but then when you take that out and you take it to America, yeah. there, there, there it's radical, right? Yeah. So, so not to denounce the comfort zone of Morocco, I mean, it's still worth it. We still have to solve, of course, this, uh, this um, um, temptation of just showing the folkloric aspects of our society and also uh, because the, the, it, it exists in Morocco, of course, and folklore in Morocco is, uh, is the thing that brings us so many tourists and it's not to be, uh, to be uh, denied, it's interesting also. But um, all the artists that we are talking about in the magazine are not in this, in this uh, area. They're not in this area. But of course, Hassan Hajjaj is, uh, why is he great? Hassan Hajjaj is, is he has a cult in Morocco, hasn't it? People mm. love him and he is our pop, uh, he's the sole uh, our Moroccan artist. Um, he has um, such an interesting identity. He's from Laraish, which is not a place where artists come from. Uh, <laughs> they all come from Tetouan, Marrakech, he's from Laraish. He is uh, English, he doesn't speak French. Uh, he, he has developed uh, uh, his, all his uh, body of work about, uh, about what is African in Morocco. This is also why he is so important in this, uh, in this uh, dispositive of 154, because he really shows young artists how they could also just uh, make it possible. Well, he's also he has no complex. Yeah, he's, a, he's a maker, and in some, and it, it, I don't, wouldn't call it uh, folkloric, but it's a word that's used. I mean, he has a very artisanal craft for yes. making, and that extends into furniture and all forms of, yes. of design, which means that his work does, by extension, become more accessible because there are these different points of entry. And I think that that, in a sense, is a, a unique position for a contemporary artist to have, uh, you know, fluidity, such a fluidity of practice. <laughs> are there any other... I would have loved to find uh, Hassan Hajjaj in the, in the, in the, the pop show oh, <laughs> in, in the Tate the Modern. Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's not a question, it's just a, a remark. Um, how can you say that apartment vendor is only known by 15 people? Huh. Not, but you know, these 15 people in Morocco, I don't, I don't, I'm not talking about... No, even in Morocco. Well, in Morocco, in the, if sometimes when we speak about Appartement 22, in the magazine, people just have never, never, never heard about Appartement 22. I'm talking about the big audience of art. Uh -huh. the, it's known only by the specialists. 
I think that. And you know, some some uh, some gallerists in Casablanca have never gone to Appartement 22. Some of them have never gone. Some of them don't know Abdullah Karoum, and he's doing a great and interesting. He is at the beginning of all the careers of the, the emerging scene. He has been the one to. I'm not, no, when I said that he is known by 15 people, it was not a it was not a critic. I'm fond of Abdullah Karoum, and I really I'm working on his on his uh, on the path that he has defriché. Uh, but I, I think that that's a key statement to make about the division of audiences that experience contemporary art, and at least in my experience, some of the most critically and engaged work doesn't necessarily pack in the same. Audience 154 at least made me aware of people interested in African art in London who I'd never seen at smaller institutions, partly because of maybe a certain exclusivity that those institutions didn't seem like places they could go, but also it is very difficult when you're operating in a specific location, maybe in a specific community that's not seen as one in which people go to experience art, that people are having to leave the beaten track and by doing so, missing out on the experience of viewing some exceptional artwork. And I think that uh, maybe it's a, it's a great potential of the Biennale and the Art Fair alike that they can kind of centralize this audience, but I hope then that audience takes th that further. So coming to this magazine may lead them to Apartment 22 to Rabat. But you know, when you, when you search in the biography of all the artists who are emerging, who have something interesting to say, it when you search, it begins in Apartment 22. Yeah. It always begins with Abdelakadoum. It's, it always begins with Fouzil Atiris at Ecole des Beaux-Arts de Tétouan and Abdelakaroum. Yeah, that's this what I mean, it, but yeah. we don't want to get into that. I was just surprised. I didn't understand oh. in which kind of tone you were saying that, so I now I understood. Which is, I think, with this is the case for many small independent art spaces in, uh, in Africa in general. I think uh, this idea, this uh, idea of and also how you understand or how you how you how you uh, uh, how you perceive audience and what is audience and uh, is audience a matter of quality of the people or of audience or is the audience a matter of quantity? Of course, you know. We, we so. And, but I wanted to ask you something else, uh, which is something that is very recurrent in publishing, uh, especially art magazines, and I totally know and understand that it's very difficult to maintain a network of writers and uh, all sort of correspondents. And, but at the same time, I really think that we, we have to uh, make more efforts yeah. whoever what in whatever field you work in you have to be you have to always do the extra miles and those extra miles may consist of I mean when you say for instance you would like someone to write about a show taking place at Cecile Fakuri, call Cecile and ask her do you know someone in Abidjan who can write about your show she would surely know you know, she would surely refer you to someone. It is really, we have to do those extra miles and it's extra work, it's extra time, but we, if we really want to change things, we really have to do it, you You're know? Right. And if you have, if you want someone to write something about Johannesburg, you know three, two, three people in Johannesburg. And if you don't know these two, three people in Johannesburg, you know someone else who knows people in Johannesburg. Just do it, you know? And, you know, it is possible. Yes, I just want yeah. to say that it is possible. And what it takes, it takes extra miles. And run yeah. those extra miles. I know you're right. You're completely <laughs> right. And these are other bottles I have to send. I, I still have an amount of bottles to send, and I have to send them. But and this yeah. indeed is a great achievement. <laughs> and I want to say in t two words in response to Koyo's baby steps. No? Uh, maybe uh, take it to one thing at a time. And I'm sure that... that group of writers will emerge, uh, yeah. or has emerged. I'm sure they're there waiting to I be called. So. They're by the phone waiting. But yeah. we were talking about comfort zone. I must admit that when I have like one month and a half to, to work on, a, on an issue, and I know that some of them are always late to, to give their paper. And when I think of, <laughs> of giving my, uh, my uh, faith to someone new, 
and maybe having so many hope that he will uh, give me a good paper, the good uh, size, that, and, the, the, and the good uh, deadline, and sometimes it's so difficult. So I sometimes, I must admit that I prefer to work with my super small team that I can manage, right. rather than to have people from, but I really should do it. And I think it's having faith in the online and, and, and finding other ways to find those writers. Uh, they're a huge, I mean, uh, network of, of writers. And yes, and we were talking about uh, kind of papers we have in here, and I would love to find also people able to, to have this overview of all what's produced in art in a specific area and could maybe have... Um, be able to make a paper, a thematic paper, like uh, what, um, I don't know, um, art and botanic, for example. Mm -hmm. I have this subject, it's, it's, it's so often happens that artists deal with botanic, and I would like to find people who are able to, to uh, write such papers. Right. And don't miss any artists. Yeah, we have another question in the back there. Oh, any more, any final questions? Oh, one over here. Just a short question. Speaking as a writer, are you able to pay your writers? Because so often in the, um, in the art world, many writers are expected to write without pay, which, you know, you kind of look at the project, you decide whether it's worth it and you do it. But it is also, I mean, there are some magazines which pay, which yeah. I think gets the better writers. So I was wondering how you work with funding. And yes, of course, we... Um, we, we pay very little because we have so little money. It's difficult also, but we, we, we are managing now to pay uh, uh, authors who live uh, in another country, which is not easy because in Morocco we have this uh, change problem. Um, but uh, yes, yes, of course. We, and sometimes we also, it happens also that we have uh, people who know the magazine, who know that we have these problems of, of money and who sometimes propose to just write for nothing. It happens. Mm. Yeah. I think that's the importance also of, of an intellectual community. I mean, paying is important, and it's a, it's a very pervasive issue in contemporary art magazines as a whole. But to a large extent, most writers begin their careers not being paid to yeah. write. And I think that needs to be emphasized. I mean, you, you, you have to say something. You simply have to communicate, and you start putting pen to paper or fingers to keypad. and. Uh, uh, words emerge, but they're certainly not always done on commission. I think it makes better writers almost not to be paid at the beginning. Just one question and probably a suggestion too. Um, do you have the possibility to uh, forward or to just to make the diffusion of your uh, magazine uh, in other countries in Africa? Um, for example, is, yes. in, in Morocco, do you have like partners, for example, galleries or museum where the um, diptych magazine can be sold? At now, we just uh, present the magazine when there is an event that can bring the audience for example, the Biennales, and but we don't have uh, at this time we don't we don't have any place where we sell the magazine. Um, in Africa, it's just in Morocco, and we also have, of course, uh, subscribers, uh, and it's sold in uh, in France in some museum libraries. That's all. So the audience is very limited if you process like this. Yes, but uh, uh, alors what, um, what happens often is that uh, each time we publish an article about a gallery, an art center or anything, we send the PDF and they know that we publish something so they just receive the PDF, sometimes they subscribe. But yes, I, I would like to, to spread the, the magazine, but just if it doesn't cost me a lot, because it's, it's so expensive to send magazines. It's, it's heavy, mm. and I'd, I have to send them only if I'm sure they will be sold. You okay. have to think about yes. the digital again. I have to find a business model. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, because if you uh, spread the magazine in a location that 
really sell the magazine, so probably you can have a feedback and yes. uh, create sure a kind of partnership yes. I'm with sure them. For example, that in Tunisia or Algeria, for example, it could work. We have approximately the same kind of audience, uh, the same kind of people who can read French and who are interested in art. We talk about their artists very much. And then we have to go south and find some places where it can be uh, presented. Yes, of course. Yeah, and I think maybe open up the potential of it being multilingual with a French translation. Maybe there can be uh, yes. artistic, uh, creative, uh, critical texts in Wolof or in Tree uh, yeah, or in, yeah. a, in, a, in a because those are these sort of dialects, but they're but there's some often people's preferred way of communicating and if you're thinking about moving into the digital the accessibility then becomes that you can use language without having to produce characters on paper yeah, that yeah. Um, you know it will be sonic so it's uh, transmitted yeah. differently and I think uh, there are so many hopefully interesting trajectories and in some way this has been as we uh, planned it uh, uh, a think tank more than a discussion between yes. uh, Two people, so you. I hope that uh, if you have any suggestions for how Miriam can take it forward and spread the word of Diptych, yes. uh, I'm sure she would be appreciative. And then when I go back to the office, I have to really do things and yep. just and go back to my And as Koyo said, going the extra mile. <laughs> the extra mile. I will take it as my new mantra. My first mantra was do it, then fix it. Now my mantra going the extra mile. will be to go the extra miles. The one that breaks your legs and yep. that puts you... <laughs> Yes, we have to do, do it. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for coming, and yes, thank we you. thank Koyo, Gabriella, everyone who is involved <laughs> in setting up the forum. Thank you.